Y'all got some joy in your hearts today? Anybody in here? All right. Y'all seem a little down, some of you. I don't know what's going on. I can't see you because of the lights, but it's just like, hey, listen, um, life is hard. How many of you have agreed with that statement? You have found that true in your life. Life is hard. But you, you know what? God never promised an easy life, and God never promised in Jesus that it would get easier. Right? He just promised presence. He promised power. He promised provision. All right? So God is with you. He's strengthening you, and he will give you what you need. The Bible clearly states it. In, in Matthew 6.33, which is not our text today, I just feel very heavy to lay it out there. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. No matter what you're doing, seek God first. Don't seek the way. Don't seek the understanding. Seek him. And then the next part is live right. All right, just do what's right. What is righteousness? It's living according to God's standards. So take God's word and live right. Apply his laws, apply his commands, live right, and then what's the promise? Somebody tell me, it's right there on the screen, cheat sheet right there. What happens? He'll give you everything you need. All things, the King James says, all things will be added to you. In other words, whatever the need of your life is, he'll supply. Where in that verse is it dependent on your ability? It's not about your ability, it's about your obedience. And today, if you put God at the forefront of your life, promise you, he'll bring everything into your life you need. That is peace. Now, that's hard, isn't it? Easy verse to say, hard to do. How many of you have an easy time putting God first in everything? How many of you are like, I try. Come on, say it, I try. Anybody say, but I fell. Yeah, but I keep trying. And he never fails, right? He just keeps proving. All right, I don't know what we need to do. Do we need to do some jumping, jumping jacks? Do we need to, like, shuffle our feet and shock you? Somebody's got to come alive in this place today. Maybe that's because, hey, we're, we're, we're going through things. We're seeing things. We're in a world that's ever-changing around us and forever evolving. Would you agree? I mean, you really don't know what day from the next, what to expect on the news. We don't know what tragedy is coming next. We don't know what adversity or trials facing our own life next. It's, it's chaotic. And if you get focused on that, it's easy to get defeated before you ever get started. If you focus on the fear, it keeps you out of Walmart because you're scared of who might walk in, right? Or what might happen. It keeps you out of church because you're scared of a disease or what might go on or a sickness. And, and, and whatever it is, there's always something to fear. But I'll be honest with you. We say it all the time. Maybe write it down. Fear is oftentimes the usher to your greatest opportunities. All right? God will move in your life and fear will hit. All right? It'll happen. Right? Now, fear will keep you from your greatest opportunities, but fear will also alert you to stupidity. Do you need fear in your life? Yes. The church uses and misuses a verse often that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. How many of you have heard that? But oftentimes we say that as you should never be afraid, but yet the same Bible tells us to fear the Lord. And then because we say that God doesn't give us the spirit of fear, we try to water down what it means to actually fear the Lord. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Can we, can we say this? There should be an admonition. Admonition is a big word for a, wow, what an awesome God. How many of you, when you think about the goodness of God and the things that he's done, you get a wow factor? Say amen to that. All right. But how many of you sometimes think about the vastness of God and the eternalness of God and the power of God and you get the whole whoa factor? All right. Now, should there be a whoa factor? Yes. He's the creator of all. I mean, he speaks it into existence. At his command, it'll end. 
At his command, the angels will open the seals and open the books. And if you ever read Revelation, it's going to turn very bad on this planet. And the Bible says he'll destroy this planet. He'll create a new heaven and a new earth, all right? So we know that at the will of God, things can happen. And part of that is, wow, you know what? I better should, I better should obey him. I, I don't want my kids to be afraid of me, but they need to understand that we are the corrective path in their life. That they lose privileges by not being obedient. Agree or disagree? All right, so if, if Canaan or Lincoln or Grayson, those are my three, you put your three in there, they, they disobey, then, then, then we don't get the privilege. You know, you, you, you get the time out or you get, the, you get the, 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 the thing you want taken away for a little bit. And, and in my heart as a parent, I'm like, I really don't want to do this because I don't want to make my daughter cry, all right? And or I don't want to make my sons mad. But you know, the thing is, is I don't want to enable them to stay the way they are that's going to take them down a destructive path. Agree or disagree? And so therefore there has to be correction. And I'll tell you this right now with Canaan, she knows we'll start counting one, two, three. And she knows, Hey, if we get to three, you're going to lose the iPad. You're going to lose the moment. You're going to lose this. There's going to be a consequence. And what happens is, is she responds. Is that being afraid? No, that's her realizing that she doesn't have the authority in her life right now. Now, how many of you got the 13 year old that thinks they should be an authority of everything? Right. Am I there? All right. Yeah, or you, you got the 18-year-old that feels like because they're 18, they don't need rules anymore. You know, I hear parents say it all the time. If you don't need rules, then I don't need to pay your bills. If you can handle it, go get it. But as long as you're under my rule, my roof, it is my All right, some of you have practiced that. Right? How many of you are tired of saying that? Don't say amen. We don't want to embarrass anybody today. But the thing is, is it happens. God says, it, 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 even in this verse, seek the kingdom of God and live right. And here's a promise. You know what we call the first two sentences? If you're learning how to study your Bible, it's a premise. It's if you do these two things, the last thing happens. Promises come with premises. Say that with me. Ready? Promises come with premises. We live in a day and age of the church where we only want to talk about the promises of God, but we don't want to talk about corrective behavior of the church. We want to say, God will do, God will do, God will do, God will do, but you got to do too. It's like waking up every day, asking God to help you lose weight, and eating an Oreo to end the prayer. I mean, it's not going to happen. Are you with me? All right. So today we're going to kick off this series that two weeks ago really got born in my life. I, I beta tested this on Monday night with my uh, Overcoming Grief class, and I asked them, hey, what are your thoughts? And then... It got confirmed because there's a lady in our church that wants to do a, a Bible study on it. And so it's like, okay, God's working in it. So we're going to do some story time with Jesus over the next few years, uh, a few months or weeks or however long God takes us, not years. But we're going to go back and we're going to look at some of the stories that you might not know. Some of you may. And, and Garrett and I were talking this morning. When you have 60 plus people getting saved in a short amount of time, you got to go back and say, we need to do some discipleship. And we need to realize that we're not living in the day of the church where everybody went to Sunday school from the time they were born. Matter of fact, how many of you found church after your 20s or in your 20s or beyond? How many of you? Raise your hand. You, you got in church after that. All right, that's a significant amount of people. I don't know, you can't see in the balcony down here, but significant amount of people. How many of you, it was after you were 30? Raise your hand. How many of you, okay, look at that. How many of you were teenagers before you got in church? Raise your hand. How many of you have been in church since the day you were born? It's about half. All right, so think about this. 
If you've been in church the day you were born, you probably heard a lot more stories than the person that's been in church for the last five years of their life, agree or disagree. All right, one thing why I, I believe and I step back when I realized that most of us did not know the story of Lazarus and the rich man, we had not heard the story of hell and its account, I realized that what we do is we, we forget. We forget what it's like to be a baby. Agree? I eat my own food. Don't stick your finger in my mouth to get the food out. You will get bit. Am I right? But a baby, you got to feed and you also sometimes got to take the food out. Um, I, I've learned how to walk. I've learned how to talk. But I have forgotten that I had to learn those things. How many of you woke up today saying, you know, when I was a baby, I used to do this. How many of you can even remember being under the age of four years old? Looking around. A lot of the teenagers, a few of the gifted older adults, all right? How many of you are like, I can't even remember yesterday? Anybody like that? All right, that's it. All right. So here's the thing. A lot of times we get in our faith and we're like, all right, the church has got this. Let's go. But the truth is, if we go without making sure that the people that are with us know, then we're not going to go far. So today we're going to go back. And I promise you, these will apply to everybody. As I'm studying them, it's teaching me some things. Pastor Chris, when he was preaching last week, used a verse. I'm going to reference that verse for, first. We're going to go look at an Old Testament story, and then we're going to come back to this verse. Go in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. We're going to look at verse number 16 uh, down through 18. Um, as a matter of fact, in verse 15, as you're turning there, as this is being taught by Paul or written to the Corinthians, he said, some people are reading the laws of Moses, but they got this veil on their eyes and they don't even understand its meaning. All right. How many of you have started or, or, or have gotten into the series, The Chosen? Anybody check that out? Raise your hand if you've seen it. How many of you have never seen The Chosen? Raise your hand. All right. I'm going to challenge you. It's free. If you've got an iPhone or an Android, there's an app called The Chosen. It's free. And it's a, a literal production done around the life of Jesus. Not everything in it you'll find in the Bible. All right. But I'm telling you now, it is really cool to see the Bible stories come alive. All right. So free. Anybody else that's your favorite number? Say amen. amen. All right. Free. Go check it out. We were watching it last night, and Jesus was actually sitting in Nazareth, and this is when he first declared himself the Messiah, and his hometown went nuts. Matter of fact, he said, a prophet's not well received in his hometown, all right? And so he's sitting there, and he's proclaiming himself, and they start really going crazy, and he starts saying, that, and they say, by the law of Moses, you should be condemned. And the truth is, the law of Moses pointed to him. And they were so blind by what they knew about Scripture that they couldn't see the fulfillment of it. I'm going to be honest with you right now. I think the church a lot of times is praying about things that God has already told them to do. We're saying, pray as we should go to McGuire Road. There shouldn't be a prayer. The prayer shouldn't be, God, help us. The prayer should be, God, we need to be obedient. The prayer should not be, God, will you bless us today? I find myself sometimes even over a service saying, God, meet with us as if he didn't want to, as if he needed my invitation to the party, as if he needed my thing. Have you ever said when you got your Bible, God, speak to me? How many of you prayed that? Come on, talk to me. Yeah, me too. And then I'm like, wait a minute. It's not about what he's doing. It's about what I'm not doing or what I need to do. So instead, I'm trying to healthy um, approach my prayer life to where it's not God, speak to me as much as it's God, help me hear. 
Like if I've got something in my life that makes it where I can't hear, reveal it. If I've got something in my life that makes it where I can't see, remove it. If I've got something in my heart that makes it that I can't do, then empty me. Because it's not about what you're not capable of today. It's about what I'm not willing to do today. Matter of fact, can I tell you this? God has a plan and a purpose for everybody, but he only does the plan and the purpose through the willing and obedient. And so when we get to a place where we say, I'll do, I'll listen, then God can do what he wants to do. So in verse number 16, we see this. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, if you're saved today, say, thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, help us. If you're saved today, say, thank you, Jesus, like Tennessee just beat Alabama again. All right, here we go. All right, there we go. Man, there needs to be life in that. We'll tear down goalposts and litter in the sea or the river when we win a football game, but Jesus set you free and you were nasty and you were dirty and you were guilty and you and I don't ever deserve to stand in the presence of God. But one day we will because Jesus died on a cross, rose again, then looked at you and looked at me and said, I want you. And that is something we should be excited about today, right? He said, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Well, back up and check your life. That, that verse right there rocked my world as I read it this week because I'm very good at the last verse, verse 18, which is where we're going to build, but, but I don't always feel free. Not that I feel like I'm trapped in sin, but what about shame? What about guilt? What about fear? What about worry? What about bitterness, anger? I mean, if you're not free today, there's a good chance, here it is, you're not walking in the spirit of God because where the spirit of God is, There is what? Freedom. Well, I just can't shake this feeling. Stop worshiping your feelings and start worshiping the Lord. Stop following and obeying your feelings and start following and obeying God. There's a way that seems right to man, but the end of it is destruction, right? Um, The heart is wicked. Who can know it? It's evil. Don't trust it. Yeah, I mean, the world says, follow your heart. Pastor Chris told me on the phone today, he was watching a sermon. He said, the whole satanic Bible is all about do what's best for you. And he said, and so when I'm just thinking about me and I'm leaving God out of it and I'm praying and I'm doing these things, then what I am doing is worshiping Satan. And I'm like, Pastor Chris, get out of my business, right? Like, you know, like here it is. I got a business decision that I need to make and I haven't prayed about it yet, but I've been worried about it for 24 hours. Isn't that crazy? I'll sit and I'll try to figure it out, but I won't go to the throne of God who already wrote the plan for my life. So understand where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Say it. There is what? Are you free? And not just free from your sin, not just going to heaven, but free. Can you breathe today and have peace? Can you rest today and know that God is in control? Are you obedient? Are you following through? Because there's freedom there. I don't have to worry about what the enemy says about me when I'm living in freedom. He can say all day long is accusations, but accusations mean nothing when I'm living in freedom. Accusations mean nothing when I'm following the Lord. They can say you can't, but when you're living in the freedom of God, you realize that can't isn't in his vocabulary. Impossible isn't something he does. And so therefore, if God has called me to it, he'll get me through it. And so I'm going to walk understanding that if he says, take a step into the sea, take a step into the Jordan, take a step in the river, then he's got a plan for what the water is going to do. I don't have to worry about swimming. I just got to trust what God can do. Because with Jesus, he walked on water. With the children of Israel, he parted it. God can do anything he wants with the water. He just needs a willing heart to be able to step out. Understand this today. We've, we've got to get to this place that there should be freedom in the way that we live, in the way that we make decisions. So all of us who have had the veil removed, 
Here's the three things. I want you to write them down. These are the things we're going to focus on today. Ready? Can what? What's it say? See. Number two, reflect the glory of God. And number three, and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us, number three, more and more like Jesus. As we are changed into his glorious image. You were created in God's image, and God's wanting to restore you back to his image. By the way, my wife says it to my daughter, and I love it. We tell her she's beautiful all the time, and we remind her that beauty doesn't start on the outside. It starts inside. That inside is where it is. You can be beautiful on the outside, ugly on the inside. And if you're ugly on the inside, the beauty outside doesn't matter. Amen to that? But if you're beautiful on the inside, the outside's beautiful no matter what. And so the thing is, is we're trying to raise a daughter, raise a person that's not getting caught up in an image-driven world, but instead is realizing who she is in Jesus. Last night, as she was misbehaving, I kept trying to tell her, you're better than this. You're better than this. You're not this girl. This is not who you are. You, 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 you are so happy, and you are so giving, and you are so loving, and the behavior you have right now is not who you are, so what's going on? How can we change this behavior? And you say, she's three, she doesn't understand it. I don't know what she understands or not. I'm going to not take that for granted, and I'm not going to pretend I know for her, but I'm going to teach her that who you are on the inside matters. And who you are on the inside isn't always reflected by what you're doing on the outside. So get the heart right, and everything else will follow. Stop trying to become perfect today. Give the heart to Jesus and know he'll perfect the rest. All right, now let's get in. Ready? Go to Genesis, if you would, chapter number 21. Which, by the way, I've started something. Now, I don't want you to not take notes because, by the way, the way to study is a pen and paper. All right? And so you're just listening if you hear the sermon today. And let's be honest, you won't remember if you don't jot down the things that God gives you. Y'all just admitted you can't remember yesterday. All right. The Air Force did a study and said that 96% of what we hear, we forget within 30 hours if we don't make a record of it. All right. And so understand this. We've got to get to a place where we're taking notes. If you want my notes later, see me after church and I'll send them to you. But don't take that as a reason not to listen, because let's be honest, when you were in school and they handed you the notes, you just kind of squeaked by. Right. So the thing is this. What God impresses on your hearts, what matters, not what comes out of my notes and what God's impressed on mine. He'll speak directly to you. Jot down what God tells you. Got it? All right, so let's go. In Genesis chapter number 21, where you see where Hagar is expelled from the Abraham and Sarah situation. Back in chapter 16, a little homework for you. Is where Abraham and Sarah, Sarah and Abraham were told that they were going to have a baby. Abraham was about in his 80s, and they still hadn't had the baby at this point. If you know this, Sarah was like 99, and Abraham was 100 when Isaac was born. But Ishmael was born before that, and Ishmael was not supposed to be. It was Abraham and Sarah's plan, not God's plan. Um, I, could, I almost preached a whole sermon about what happens when we try to recreate the plan of God. We oftentimes create our problems. We oftentimes create our insecurity. We oftentimes create our biggest enemies, our guilt and our shame. Don't try to write the script. Just obey the script God has written. Don't try to write your story. Just be obedient and let God's story that he wrote for you before you took your first breath, that he recorded in his books before you were alive, let him play it out. All right? He's the director. You're the actor. Don't try to switch roles. Got it? Say got it. All right, here it is. Abraham and Sarah switch roles. They say, all right, Sarah says, take my handmaid, go have this baby. 
God had promised Abraham that he'd make a great nation. The great nation was going to be the Jews. All right? And so out of Abraham was going to come this nation of Jews. We know them today, Israel. Their existence, how many of you have heard of Israel and the Jews? Raise your hand. You got this? They're a great nation that's constantly under attack and surrounded by nations that hate them. You know what nations hate them? The Arabic nations that were born from Ishmael. So when Abraham said, I'm going to go sleep with my handmaid and, and still be in God's will, did he have right means? Did he have a right goal? Yes. He said, God's going to make a great nation out of me. So I'm going to help God. So I'm going to go get the nation started because I'm getting old. All right. Hey, listen, no matter how long you are, how far you are in your journey, you are never too far for God to use you. You're never too old to have significance. And if God said he would, he will. And no matter how long it takes, you stay true. In Habakkuk 2 verse 3, he says, I gave this to the youth a couple weeks ago. He says, these things may seem like a long time coming, but they surely will happen and they will not be delayed. And I explained to them that in heaven there's no night. So God's day is today. We're the ones that have time frames. And God is working in his now to do something amazing in your life. And now to him may be five years from now for you. Now to him may be five minutes from now for you. You don't know when. You don't know where. You don't know how. But you better know who. God's got a plan for your life today. And Abraham said, I'm going to help him with a plan. Anybody else ever been in the middle of a project and one of the little ones want to help? All right. And in your mind, you got this, oh, this is going to be cute. I don't know, man, I don't know if you talk like that, but this is going to be awesome. I'm going to teach. I'm going to be dad of the year or mom of the year. You're going to baker of the year. You're going to teach something to a little one only to realize five minutes later that that is totally delayed, created struggle and brought difficulty to what should have been simple. How many of you know what I'm talking about today? Yeah. I got a little girl that loves to mess with my screwdrivers when I'm building stuff, which is very rare that I'm building something. I don't want y'all to think like I'm some huge carpenter. I only build what comes out of a box with instructions. And so we'd sit down and she'll come in, daddy, let me help. Daddy, let me help. Daddy, let me help. And so you let her help and you let her turn it. But every now and then you're like, I could have been done an hour ago if I just did it. Right? Come on now. All right, little story, Grayson, my little Grayson, and don't judge me for this. Get the, get the beam out of your own eye before you come after me. Grayson loves my Xbox. My little one-year-old loves to get my controller, and he loves a game. I'm not going to tell you what game, because you will surely judge me. <laughs> and he'll get that thing, and he'll, he'll look straight up in the air, and then he'll look at me and he'll smile and he'll start moving around, but he's straight up in the air. And then he knows how to make the guy do circles. And I'm like over here in like the twilight zone because my screen's spinning like crazy. And then I reach over for the control from my one-year-old and he's like, no. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, but I want to play, right? I want to do this. But in his mind, he's like, look at me, dad. I'm doing this. And so... We sit, we go back and forth, and I find it cute. I reach for the control, he pulls it. Oh, that's cute. Reach for the pull, he pulls it. Oh, that's cute. Reach for the fourth time, it's like, give me the control. You know, like, I want my turn. Mom, he's not being fair, right? Like, I'm, I'm over it. The thing is, though, is sometimes we get into this, and it's like, let's teach, and then we get frustrated with the process, right? 
But how many of you have ever done something with a little one and you realize the cupcakes you could make in 30 minutes, it takes them an hour to make. But unless you have an hour to give them, they'll never learn how to make them. Come on now. I still don't even know how to change the oil in my car. Never been taught. Now, for those of you that are eager to give me a lesson after church, I'm going to be honest with you, I really don't want to know, right? Like that's the thing. <laughs> the thought of me being under a vehicle that could fall and crush me at any moment does not excite me. So I'll, I'll, I'll hire you to do that. But the thing is, is you can't learn what you're not taught. And sometimes we get in there and we're like, this is my plan. But the kid's like, hey, let me learn so I can, and, and, and we, try to, we try to adjust things. And if we're not careful, we can bite somebody's head off. We can hurt somebody. Here's the thing. A lot of times God has this perfect day for you. And then you wake up and you're like, hey, you know what? I, I need to do this, have to do this, going to get this done. And you start altering the plan and your Ishmael's born. Your, your, your nemesis of the day is born. Your anxiety is born. Your guilt, my guilt, my, my hurt, my, my habit that I am going to form over the next 20 days is born. And the nation of Israel right now is not safe on any border because Abraham had a plan to help God's plan. Slow down and let God be God. Verse number uh, one of 21. As a matter of fact, let's skip to verse number 15. I'm gonna, how many of you will, no, I'm not gonna make you lie. I was gonna say, well, promise me you'll read this, but I know you don't lie. Just go read this, all right? In verse number 14, it says, so Abraham got up the next morning, prepared food and a container of water, strapped them to Hagar's shoulder, which is the handmaid's name. Then he sent her away with the son and she wondered, I've got this underlined like four or five times. And by the way, if you need to be with me, Genesis 21, I've got this underlined four or five times in my Bible aimlessly. There's too many people aimlessly wondering instead of actually seeking. The Bible says, ask and he'll answer, seek and you'll find, knock and he'll open. Don't just aimlessly wonder, go somewhere intentionally. We say it this way, everything needs to be on purpose for a purpose. If you're just getting up today and like just flying by the seat of your pants, you're going to find yourself very stressed out and not accomplishing anything. Am I right? Be here next week. We'll talk about some things. Ready? Look at this in verse number 15. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a, of a bush then she went and sat down by herself about 100 yards away, a football field away. I don't want to watch the baby die as she burst into tears. You got this? See the scene? All right, here's what happens. Listen to me. In the previous part of this chapter, her son makes fun of Isaac. Sarah doesn't like it. So Sarah says, you get him and you get her and you get him out. And God says, obey your wife. He tells Abraham, just do it. So Abraham sends her on. But here's what God tells Abraham. I'm going to make a great nation out of him. I gave you a promise that I'd make a great nation out of you. you. You had this plan, so guess what? I'm not going to forsake the promise because you messed it up. Hey, for everybody that's messed up in the room today, good news. God does not change his mind just because you messed up. All right, God does not take it back just because you messed up. He's going to do something. So he, he goes to Hagar and he says, I'm, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. But Hagar lays her son in a bush, goes all the way to the other side, and she sits down and says, I'm going to wait for him to die. All right, y'all with me? Look at the next verse. It says, but God heard the boy crying. Aren't you glad that God hears our cries? All right, if you think that God does not hear you right now, he just, it's not that God hears you. God is moved by your pain, and God is empowering his people, his angels. He's giving them charge over you. God is drawn to your tears, and God cares about what you're going through, and God is doing something about it as we speak. Don't give up. 
Those that love God, hey, hey, you will reap a harvest. Those of you that are laboring, those of you that are trying, those of you that are working so hard and giving it everything you got, it will work out if you just keep loving and trusting God. He will not let you fail. So he hears the cry and the angel of God uh, 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 called to, to Hagar from heaven. Hagar, what's wrong? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him for I will make a, a great nation from his descendants. Man, you went from broke to rich fast. You went from it's just us against the world that God's going to use us to change the world. What a promise, right? That's called death to life. And to those that are in new Christ, they're new creations. The old things are what? Passed away. And behold, all things have become new. Then God, here it is, verse number 19, open Hagar's eyes, Hagar. And she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. Now here's what's crazy. You ready? Let's dive into our notes. If we remember in 2 Corinthians, it says we'll see, we'll reflect, and we'll become more like him. We'll see, we'll reflect, and we'll become more like him. Here's the lady laying her son down in a field that has a well that is the answer to why she's letting her baby die. We ran out of water. We lay him down. I'm going to let him die. But in the same field, there's a well. And you sit there and you think, what's going on? I, I, I made a list of five things that will keep you from seeing clearly. God says he'll remove the veil and you'll see and you'll reflect. Write this down. Number one, pain. How many of you have ever been in pain before? Physical pain. The older I get, the more of that I get. What about mental, emotional pain? How many of you will be honest that when you're in pain, you don't see or hear clearly at all? Would you be honest with me that you don't think the same when you're in pain? No, not at all. Pain will make you see things differently. In other words, pain will make you not see the resources available to you. It'll keep you from realizing what's there. It, you, you could sit here and say, nobody loves me. That's pain. And here's a group of people, I'll promise you this, it, it, if it's not so, let's close it down. But I believe you're in a place today that if you reached out and poured yourself out again and consistently, you would be met with love because you're with a bunch of people who know what it's like to mess up, know what it's like to be loved through it, and believe that God's love changes everything. You're in a place that there's no judgment, there's no condemnation, we love you and we want to see you succeed. If you agree with that today, say amen. All right, that's who we are. And if we're not, close it, we're nothing. We're nothing. We're wasting our time. But the, you could sit here today and go home and say, nobody loves me. And the truth is, it's not because love's not there. It's the pain's keeping you from seeing what's in front of you. I did this illustration with Tammy in our Monday night group. Matter of fact, I'm going to do it corporately. Do this. Play my game. You ready? Take your hand, stick it out. I mean, stick it out. Get it out there. Let's say your hand represents your problem. You got it? Now, when my problem's out here, can I still look around? Can I still see? Yes. Do I still have problems? Yes. Can I still see my problems in my peripherals? I have a hard time with that word. All right, peripheral. Yes, they're there. But I can still make it through life because it's not all that's there. But here's what happens in my life. This is me. Tell me if it's you too. Now do it with me. 
There'll be a day that my problem's not here, it's here. All right, so put it out there. Can you still see? But now is it a little harder to see? Yeah. And, and, and if I keep my eyes off of my hand, I still see my hand but, uh, and my problems, but I can still see other things. But there's some days in my life that it's like this. Can you see? No. All that's there is what? My problems. My Bible says in Colossians that he has stripped the enemy of its power. He has taken the records of wrongs held against you and nailed it to a cross. He has taken it away. You have been set free. If this is your past, if this is your mistakes, if this is your body image, if this is your insecurity, if this is the thought you have for him, then you have to understand that this, you and who you are, was nailed to a cross and hidden in Jesus Christ. And that you are not ugly or worthless or valueless. You are not pathetic and a loser. You are made like him through what he did for you. And you are powerful. You are royal. You are a priesthood. You can rule and reign in heavenly places. You are an adopted son or daughter of the most high. You are in a bloodline that has all the wealth of the world and universe in its power. You are of a generation that cannot be killed and cannot be hindered. You are eternal. You are forever. You are in him. He is in you and we are in the father. Therefore, this is no longer a problem. But there's days that I don't see myself through Jesus. I see myself through a mirror of me. My pain can mess me up. And your pain can also be because of somebody else. And if you're not careful, what, what they've done comes here. Your pain could be because of your lack. If you can't pay tomorrow's bills, there's some pain. Agree or disagree, you got this? But where's your pain when it comes to your focus? So number two, write it down. Not only does your pain help you not see the wrong focus, keeps you from seeing. Write this down. This is real. It's heavy. Ready? What I focus on, I worship. And what I worship is a God. It might not be the God, right? Yes, but it's a God. And if I focus on people's opinions, that becomes my God. If I focus on what's going on around me, that's the wrong focus can ruin a day. Agree or disagree? The wrong focus can ruin a life. Not only a focus, write this down. What about sin? Now, none of these are in, this is the, the number one, number two. These all kind of kind of go together. If you got sin in your life, you can't see clearly. That's why the Bible tells us to purify our hearts. And so confess them, get them out. You say, God, I want to see you. I'll, I promise you this, ready? This is real, get it. You will never see God clearly with known sin in practice of your life. You got to purify. Purify means to get it washed out to get it cleans out. You get something in your eye, purify your eye. If you work in a chemical plant, a chemical gets in your eye, it needs to be washed. Why? Because it needs to be purified. You need to get all the nasty out so that it doesn't hinder what you can see. And I believe this, all right? We live in a sinful generation. We live in a world that sin is growing. It's easy to get into sin. Good news, it's easy to get out. All right, the truth is, is God's made an escape. 
And he says, he'll never let you be tempted by sin. That's what he's talking about. More than you're able. In other words, no matter what Satan throws at you, you've got the ability to say no. God will never let Satan come at you more than you are able to withstand. It's not talking about the will of God and the plan of God. Those are going to be overloading. You're going to have to trust him. But when it comes to the enemy, there's a door, a way out, and it's God's way. It's run to Jesus. All right, so here it is, sin, pain, a wrong focus. What about doubt? Let's call that unbelief. If I don't believe it's possible, I'm not going to see the possibilities. Matter of fact, can we say this? Sometimes we focus more, and back to the focus thing, we focus more on the struggle than the possibilities of God. Like, look at what I'm going through instead of, look at what God could do here. You know, look at what I've done instead of look at what God could be. And then lastly, let's put this one down. We can't see clearly because we got bad influences. Now, I'm, there's way more. I could probably do 20 on this list. And you go add to this list as God reveals and the Holy Spirit shows you. But let's be honest, some people are getting wrong advice. Sarah came to Abraham in this story and said, take my handmaid. How many of you would agree with me? That's bad advice. All right, Job went to, his wife came to him and said, curse God and die. Curse God for something God didn't do and die for something you didn't do. That was her advice. It's so bad, Job. You're scraping the sores with, with these things, trying to get the ooze out, and you're trying to get all the nasty. That's how bad these sores are. Just curse God and die. It ain't God's fault, and it ain't your fault. Don't give up on what, because Satan's at work. Satan's always going to be at work, and the only reason he's working is because he's defeated. If you don't believe it, go stick a stick in an anthill. They come out in droves because what they just built has collapsed, and Satan is working overtime because the cross crushed the anthill he built. And they're going crazy because they know this. They cannot defeat him, and so they can take as many with them to their damnation as they can. They, Satan's not trying to destroy you to hinder God's plan as much as he's trying to destroy you because he knows he's sinking and he wants to take as many down with him as he can. He's done. So don't let these five things keep you from seeing clearly. So here's what, how do we see clearly? We find in Hebrews 12, one and two. I'm not gonna read these to you. I just did a whole series with our teenagers on this for three or four weeks, all right? Hebrews 12, one and two says, we got this cloud of witnesses, strip off the weights, lay down the sin, run with patience and endurance the, life, the race that God has set for you. And then in verse number two, it says, we do this by keeping our eyes on who? Jesus. And then it gives us the steps of doing that. Matter of fact, if you've got a teenager that's been active in our youth group, sit down with them over the next week and study this passage and let them teach you what they've learned. My hope is they've learned something enough to be able to lead the Bible study in your home. But the truth is, is Jesus had a few things. Ready? Number one, he knew where he was going. He had vision of what was going to be accomplished. Real quick, ready? If I can see what the possibilities of God are, I can go through whatever I'm going through no matter what. Number two, he knew how to delay gratification. He didn't have to have it now, so he endured the cross because he knew going through this will get me there. And so I'm not going to want all the pleasure here. I'm going to get back to my father. And it's good if our church would simply get to a place where we say, we don't have to have all the answers now. We're heading towards God. We're going to see clearly one day, but we're not going to give up now because we don't have the answers. We're not going to give up now because we don't have the money. We're not going to give up now because we don't have the ability. We know that God can do it. 
And so therefore, I'm not going to get my peace on earth. I'm going to let my peace be in him. And one day I'll get there. So I'm not going to quit here or give up here or give in to sin here. I'm going to delay the gratification. I can wait because I know God's going to do something better. And then it says this. He disregarded the shame. In other words, ready? I don't care what you think. I only care what God thinks. I literally made a statement like that on this stage three years ago that made people so mad. Matter of fact, I heard about it yesterday. To when we stood and apologized, I made a statement that said, I'm going to ask for your forgiveness, but for the first time in my life, I've come to the place where I know that God has forgiven me. And so while I'm going to ask for it, I don't necessarily need it. Now, I ended that apology with, I know I've hurt you and I'll do whatever I can to help you and I'll do whatever it takes no matter how long it takes to heal this. And you know, even yesterday I was being told by somebody, you stood on that stage and told people, you don't care what they think. That is not what I said. But I'm telling you this right now, I'm not going to let anybody else on the planet try to be my God. And if they want to be mad because I feel like I'm right with God, then you be mad. I'm going to stay right with God because when I get there, it ain't you I stand in front of. It's not. And so let's echo this and let's be honest with you. If you've made a mistake, go make it right with a person that you made a mistake against. Go make it right with God. And who cares what everybody else has to say? Who cares what everybody else thinks? Because at the end of the day, they don't hold your salvation. Aren't you thankful for that? How many people would have you condemned and thrown in hell? But they don't hold it. At the end of the day, they don't hold the plan. They don't hold the promise. They don't hold your purpose. God does. And so Jesus said, who cares if you think I'm the father of demons? Who cares if you say that I'm a false prophet? Who cares if you say that I can't do this? Who cares if you doubt that I'm the Messiah? I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to get out of a grave. I'm going to sit at the right hand of God. Because what you think does not control my destiny. So say what you want to say. I'm going to do what God's called me to do. If you could get that mindset, hell would run from you. God help us that we get into the day that hell sees us coming and gets out of Dodge. I'm fighting hell every day. Well, stop living like hell and maybe you won't have to fight hell. Start living like heaven and know that at the name of Jesus, even the demons tremble. I'm telling you this now, if we're working in the name of Jesus Christ, that doesn't create a battle. That creates a weak, pathetic enemy. That if we step out in the name of Jesus, what's the Bible say? They have to flee. How many times did Jesus come into a a, a place where somebody was demon-possessed? Remember the guy that was tied and and, and chained up in the graveyard and Jesus walked in. He was demon-possessed. They said, don't go. We can't hinder this guy. We can't stop this guy. And Jesus walks up to him and they said, what would you do with us, Jesus? It's not We're going to stay. We're going to fight. It's you are here. We know we have to leave. Don't kill us. Don't destroy us. I'm telling you this right now. The church needs to stop thinking that God has called us to fight hell and realize that God has called us to rescue people from hell. He's got hell defeated. He's got hell conquered. He took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. It's not a war. It is over. And if the church today was alive in Jesus' name, we would be rescuing people instead of trying to fight an enemy that's already been defeated. And that's good preaching. I don't even need you to say it. It's good stuff. I do need you to remind me about that because I'm I'm a little bit emotional roller coaster. Like some days I'm like this, right? 
And I need to be remembered. It's already won. It's already forgiven. I know I just opened a whole can of worms. How many of you understand what we just talked about? Anybody in agreement in the place today with what we just talked about? All right, good deal. Like, let your eyes, set your eyes on Jesus. That's how you see clearly. In Philippians 4.8, it tells us to set our mind. What I see affects what I think. What I think affects what I see. If you think somebody hates you, and they come up and say they're sorry, do you think they're sorry? No, you think they hate you. So no matter what they say, no matter what you do, they won't receive it. Because what they think affects what they see. That's why you can have a car wreck and get 15 different accounts of the same car wreck. That's why you can have a conversation with your spouse or with somebody that's close to you and they'll say, you said this, and you said, I never said that. How many of you have been there? And the truth is, it's not what you said, it's not what you meant, but it's what they heard because what they think affects what they see and they hear. So if I'm looking at Jesus and the Bible says, Dear brothers and sisters, in Philippians 4, 8, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what's true, honorable, right, pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. If I'm looking at Jesus and I'm thinking about these things, then I will have an open mind to be able to hear and see clearly what God's saying and what God wants me to do in the lives of others. You got it? Say amen. All right, the truth is this. If I'm thinking about everybody's opinion, I'm thinking about my pain, I'm thinking about what I'm going through, I'm thinking about what's going on, then I will not see or hear you clearly today. It will not happen. All right. I got six minutes. I'm on a shot clock now. Did y'all know that? You might be happy for that. On Easter, we're going to two services, 9 and 11 o'clock. All right? Uh, from Easter, we're going to stay two services, 9 and 11 o'clock. It's probably a weird way to announce that. But I have to be out by 11.30, they say. So y'all ready to, to listen and fast forward? I, my mind works this way, so stay with me. When I watch a video on YouTube, I do it two times the speed. I never listen to a sermon on normal speed. Two times the speed or I can't keep up. So I am a rapper by nature. <laughs> you ready? We're going to hit this. Get this. My wife always says, don't, don't bring attention to the time. I'm trying to be humorous with this today. But I'm going to get this. You ready? Here we go. The number two thing it says that we need to do is not just see Jesus, but we need to reflect Jesus. And I'm, I'm going to break this down very, very quickly in two truths. Number one, ready? You're going to become like the people you hang around. And if you want to reflect Jesus, you got to hang around Jesus' people. you got to hang around Jesus' truths. you got to hang around Jesus' music. you got to hang around Jesus' stuff. You start listening to crap. You start listening to other people. You start listening to the world stuff, and you're going to start reflecting them. If you start listening to Jesus' stuff, you'll start reflecting him. Get in the word of God, you'll reflect it. Number two, here it is, right? Ready? You can't reflect what you're not pointed at. I almost brought a mirror to the stage, but let's pretend. All right? I'm going to take Robbie's instrument. Let's say this is a mirror. If I hold this, that's the mirror, out. Can you see me in the mirror? What would you see? You. You would see yourself. Because whatever it's pointed at, it reflects. You know what God's called us to be? The mirror, not the object. 
This is beautiful. This is what God gave me. It's sitting in my thing. A lot of times I'm trying to be the proof of God. I don't have to be the proof of God. I need to be the reflection of God. God hasn't called me to come out. Garrett hit it beautifully. They get these new phones. They do new things. They do all this stuff, and it messes you up. And he's saying, hey, the word of God is true. It's powerful. It's sharp. It's quick. It pierces. It changes. It does what it needs to do. You don't need to add to it. You don't need to take away. God has not called you to be the object that's reflected. He's called you to be the mirror of which Jesus is reflected through. That means this. I am powerless. If I'm the mirror, it's not on me. It's on him. But what I point my mirror at I reflect. And so if I point my mirror at somebody that's in a bad mood, guess what I am? Oh, y'all following this, right? If I point my mirror at somebody who's constantly negative, what am I? And you know what the Bible says? We're to reflect Jesus. So here's the truth. If you want to reflect Jesus, then at some point of your life, you got to set your life up to where Jesus is in view. And so I'm looking at him, the author and finisher of my faith. I'm pointed at him. I'm seeking him. I'm reflecting him. It's his word, his way. And if I'm pointed at it, I reflect it. And you say, you will know they're my disciples by the way they talk, by the way they treat each other, by the way they love. That's the thing he says. Their actions, their words, their deeds. Say it with me. Actions, words, deeds. By the way they talk, by the way they act, by the way they love. We reflect him. Matter of fact, Proverbs chapter number 27, verse number 19 says, as a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. That's a good word. He's saying, if I look at the thing and I see myself, the heart is a representation of who the person is. Here's what I love. A lot of people have good hearts, but bad behaviors. The heart's a reflection of who you are, not the behavior. Fix the behavior. Hard to change a heart. Only Jesus can do that. And so it's like, hey, I want to reflect God, so I put God in view. Some of us reflect our careers. Some of us reflect our, our, our possessions. Some of us reflect the mood of others. But if you want to reflect Jesus, you got to be the mirror pointed at Jesus so that Jesus can be seen in you. Isn't that a beautiful truth? I am not the power. I'm powerless. But I can reflect the one who has the power. Isn't that the calling we have? And then it says this, we can be more and more like Jesus. All right, ready? Here it is. Write it down. Number three, to become more like Jesus, our life should not be modeled after the thought, and this is the trend that went through America. I'm borrowing this from Pastor Chris. What would Jesus do? WWJD. I, I, I understand it and I get it. I'm glad we're talking Jesus. But that is so messed up in belief system. It should be more W-D-J-D. What did Jesus do? I mean, the Bible tells us exactly how he behaved in situations. It tells us, he even says, turn the other cheek. Soft answers, right? Let's do this. He, he modeled this. He showed us. Don't model your life after this thought of what would Jesus do? No, get, get the word of God and find out what he did. How did he handle situations? What did he do when, when things were coming up against him? We, we should be like him. Matter of fact, number two, how do we know we're becoming more like Jesus? And we'll close with this, Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16. 
The Bible says, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way to be more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Ready? Here it is. Write these things down. Well, this is our out. This is our swan song. This is the mic drop. Ready? How do I know I'm becoming like Jesus? Number one, I care about what Jesus cares about. That's it. That's the number one. There's no two. Under number one, let's talk about what Jesus cares about. Lost people. Jesus cares about hurting, broken, and lost people. If you are like Jesus, you care about them too. If you are like Jesus, the Bible says we speak the truth in love. If you and I are like Christ, we're spending our life making sure everybody knows that they are loved by the Father and that God wants to take them to heaven and that Jesus is the answer. Number two, discipleship. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. He's teaching us. We should care about other people growing in their faith. Number three, he loves his church. He's the head of it. In other words, Jesus is saying this, if I'm the head of the church, the head's no good without a body. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say this. This is, this is why I'm putting it at the end so that you can get mad, get in your car, and speed home. Ready? Stop belittling the church. Now, we're not talking the church like Catholicism and all this. What I'm talking about is this. I hear so many people say, I don't need church, and I got church hurt and all this other stuff. Why in the world would Jesus die for it for it to be unimportant to you? Why would he give his life for it if it's not important for you? I'm not saying you need to go to church because we want you at grace. I'm saying we, you need to go to church because you need to be around believers, helping each other grow, caring about other people. By the way, the people that say they don't need church are selfish because the church is not about you or me. The church is about God. What can I be for you? What can I do for you? And there's truth to this, ready? There are certain people in the world that nobody's gonna be able to have an impact on like you would. Nobody could reach them like you could. And if you and I are insignificant, then so is Jesus, and he is not. He died for the church. He gave his life for the church. He sent his Holy Spirit to the church. He wants to grow the church. He wants to grow you. God cares about the church. It should be a place full of love. That's what he desired. And lastly, by righteous living. In 1 Peter chapter number 1, verse 16, he echoes in this passage a, a scripture that was written in Leviticus. So this is an old truth that God brings out in the New Testament. Ready? He says this, Be ye holy, because I am holy. Listen, God did not die to save a church so that they could just live in this behavior. God sent his son to die, to give the church a lifestyle that they could never have absent salvation in the presence of the Holy Spirit. God sent his son. In John 3, 16, it tells us, for God so what? Loved the world. He sent him in love. In other words, it's this. If I'm becoming more like Christ, I care about the things he cares about. Can we make it easy? One word. Heaven cares about people today. Let's make it personal. Heaven cares about you. 
Oh, he cares about me. And if I'm becoming more like Jesus, guess what I got to do? Care. People are going to hell. Chris painted that last year, last week, with the Francis Chan analogy with the rope of eternity. How many of you were here for that? What a sobering thought. People are going to hell. And if we were like Jesus, we'd care about that. Hagar was desperate in a place of provision, dying until God opened her eyes so she could see. There is a world out there that is lost without Jesus Christ that does not know his promises and does not know his blessing. And it is up to you and me to be a reflection of Jesus so that as we go this week, somebody could see, hey, there's some water for them to drink too. That it's not over. Pick up your baby. Pick up your hopes and dreams. Pick up your identity. Isn't this what the baby represents? Hopes and dreams, identity, future, your heart, everything. Pick it up. Give it water because it ain't over. This isn't the end. God help us to create a church. It's like this voice from heaven, like an angel screaming, Hagar, God is going to keep his promise. There's a well, there's a well, there's a well. Get a drink, get a drink, get a drink. Get up, you can make it. So here it is, story time number one. We're to see, reflect, and become like Jesus. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Nobody looking around. Now, I'm not going to ask you questions today. I am going to give you an invitation for salvation. If you've never accepted Christ, your whole life begins at the moment that you accept his gift of salvation. He loves you, he died for you, and he wants you in his family. The Bible says to openly declare that he's Lord, not Savior. You're making him Lord of your life, saying, I'm giving you control. You'll confess he's Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. I like it. I like Romans. It lays it out beautifully. Romans 10, I think 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You don't have to understand it. You just got to believe it. We said it this, I'm going to see a victory. The victory is saying, I'm believing God at his word, knowing he's going to come through. And today, if you've never given your heart to Christ, right there where you sit is a perfect time to do it. Just declare him Lord of your life. Let him do the work. Have a conversation with God and then make it known. So I'm going to come back to you in just a second. You forget what I'm about to say and you get with heaven and say what you need to say. You say, what is that? Just ask him. Tell him what you need. He's faithful. He hears. He answers. He supplies. Now, how many of you here today say there's certain things that are getting in my way of seeing God clearly? Certain things that are keeping me from seeing and hearing him the way that I need to. Maybe it is your pain. Maybe it is your sin. Maybe it is those things that are going on in your life. And maybe today needs to be a day of purification. Purification doesn't mean that you've necessarily got it wrong. It's not just a thing tied to sin. Purification means I want to get anything out that's keeping me from being what God wants me to be. And if that's you today, where you sit, would you just start telling God, hey, I want to see you clearly. Empty me. Create in me a new heart. That's what David prayed. Renew your spirit within me. Hey, God, I want to be different than I am today. I'm going to grow a little bit deeper than I am today. So God, I know it's not something you need to do, but it is something that I need to do. So show me how. Direct my steps. Convict my life. Empty me. Show me the things that need to change. Maybe you're here today, and the truth is you're not reflecting Jesus. Maybe you're pointed at the wrong things. Maybe people see your life and they... 
They see a reflection other than Christ because your focus has been on things that are other than Christ. Good news. You can come back. Right now, you can go back to Jesus and you can say, okay, God, here it is. I direct my life in your, in your direction. I point my heart towards you. I point my mind. I point my, my eyes. I, I want to seek you. So God, I give you rights. This is real. I give you rights to do any corrective steps you need to do to make me right with you. Anything you need to do to make me a vessel of which you can be seen. So God, here it is. I give myself on an altar, trusting you, knowing you keep your promises, but understanding that today I'm not where I need to be. I'm not pointed where I need to be. And I am going to let you do the work. That's a surrender prayer. Is there anybody maybe in the room that says, you know what, I think I'm reflecting him and I, I'm looking, I'm listening. I, I think I got a good grasp on him, but I would love to be more like Jesus. A little bit more tenderhearted. A little bit more patient in traffic. A little bit more understanding with difficult people. A little bit more caring and compassionate. A little bit more thinking about eternal things instead of temporary things. Seeing beyond where I am to where it is God wants to take me. To live as if I'm a citizen of heaven, not a citizen of earth. To live as if my home is around the throne of God, not around all these things here. So more like Jesus. God, just make me more like Jesus. Whatever it takes, whatever you want to do, I'll follow, I'll obey, I'll listen, I'll respond, I'll change. There's a bad word in the human race, right? I'll, I'll make some some difficult decisions to give up some things that are keeping me from you, but more like Jesus. Just help me to be more like Jesus. If any of those things today represent you, then I'm going to invite you for just a moment. I'm going to have Casey sing whatever she's playing. I don't even know what it is. Whether it's at your seat or maybe you need an altar, I am not going to tell you what to do. But whatever it is that God's pulling your heart, would you just before we close this service, spend maybe the next 30 seconds just you and God. Just you and God surrendering those things. If there is somebody here today that wants to make a public proclamation that you gave your heart to Jesus Christ today, accepted him as Savior and Lord, then we want to give you that opportunity. If that is you today, would you slip a hand in the air saying, today's the day I am accepting Jesus as my Savior. Now hold it there so we can see it. I'm going to scan the room. I'm going to look. I'm going to look. I'm going to look. Anybody at all? All right, how many of you can say, I know I'm saved, no doubt about it. My name is there. I've given my heart to him. I've confessed him, Lord. He is Lord of my life. Raise that hand in the air. And while it's there, just give God a thank you. All right, let him know you're thankful for what he's done. If that's the case today, then the church should be alive outside this walls today as we dismiss. So I'm gonna ask you to do this. Stand wherever you are. The altar's open, you can have it. Or your chair's open, you can have it. But whatever God has laid on your heart today, spend 30 seconds with him before you go into the world saying, okay, God, let's get this ready. Ready?